drank some water today. I'm really excited that you're joining me for this episode of the Black Empower podcast. I'm Coco Brown and today I'm going to be chatting with Matthew Zia. Matthew is a self-taught theatre director, DJ, composer, broadcaster and journalist. He's worked with The Young Vic, with the Royal Exchange Theatre and he's DJed at Glastonbury Festival. He is a founding member of Act for Change, a trustee of Artistic Directors of the Future and a trustee of Cardboard Citizens. Currently, he is the Artistic Director for the Actors Touring Company. If you'd like to find out more about Matthew, then you can find him at matthewzia.com. Okay, let's get it popping. Hey, Matthew. Hello, Coco. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I still feel like how are you doing is a trick question. It is very much a trick question, I feel, and it's so ingrained in my language. <laughs> um, so the, thanks for chatting with me today. Um, I just want to kind of get to know a little bit more about you and your journey and um how you got to where you are today in our industry but you know our industry being theater as well as the arts in general because you are multidisciplinary um so I'd love to start off with knowing what you do and why you do that go on what do I do what I do is uh, I make theater that's like the simplest version of what I do the expansive version is that I'm a visual and aural storyteller using live and recorded material. Why do I do it? I think I do it because of empathy. I, like I've spent ages trying to work mm-hmm. out what the connections are between me wanting to play hip hop records on the radio and me wanting to deliver stories and theatre to people in in rooms and and in non-rooms, in spaces. Um, And I think it's about empathy. I think it's about empathy for the other, whoever the other is. And simply by the other, I mean not you. Um, And very often that means that I've lent into marginalised groups, including my my own lived experience as a a mixed race man. Um, But within that, I see other marginalised groups. And I think that understanding people is, is... key to empathy and feeling for people um, and seeing people as human so I think that's why I do what I do at a kind of profound level and then I enjoy bringing people together I think um, mm-hmm. and and kind of always have I read this book this is going to be a little bit uh, off the wall um, that's fine I'm on this journey with you let's do it let's go let's go so uh, there's a guy called Bill Brewster he wrote a book called last night a DJ saved my life <laughs> Um, based on the song, Last Night I Had a DJ Save My Life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the whole thing is taking it all the way back to that shamanic figure, the orchestrator of energy, mm. the orchestrator of experience. So for me, you know, like I always feel like the stories I was t- playing, Skinny yeah. Man, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, Mud Family, uh, Exhibit, Pete Rock, these people were people who grew up on housing estates in yeah, yeah. America or in the UK. Uh, they're exploring tales of poverty, of marginalisation and of oppression, societal oppression. And I feel like I'm doing the same thing, but it's now that we just get four weeks to rehearse how that story will be delivered. Uh, and there's a collaborative element of it. So I think that's who I am and what I do. And then with that, it's just 
sprung out into all these other places, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So I started as a DJ uh, and then I became a composer and then I became a lyricist. And then that, then I started writing about music and I think then I could call myself a journalist. Uh, and then the BBC said, you want to come and do a radio show? And then I think I could call myself a broadcaster. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, like you just collect, but they're, I think they're all the same thing, which is wanting people to feel more for other people. Oh, beautiful. Um, so thinking back then about, you know, how you got here, uh, I'd love to know what your first job in theatre was, and that can be in any shape or form or paid, unpaid, whatever. Um, yeah, um, what you would catch your first job in theatre. So I, like when I was 11, uh, I, I come from what I often describe as, I, I always say an incredibly poor background financially, I think is what I mean with that. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a lot of acting out at home on my part. And I think that was a kind of call for attention, ultimately. Then I discovered that you could stand on the stage uh, <laughs> and people gave you all of the attention. All of the people gave you all of the attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I wandered down the road to my local theatre, which was Theatre Royal Stratford East, and they had a youth theatre. <sighs> um, and I was empowered in this space. I walked in as a, you know, again, the stories we tell ourselves as a naughty kid with attention issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and I came out knowing that I was an artist and I had a voice and my raps that I wrote were lyrics and I was a lyricist and my beats that I made, mm -hmm. uh, that was called composition. Uh, and so yeah, these yeah. little hobbies that I had were actually huge professions that if I wanted to develop them, I could. And it was Stratford East that told me all of that stuff. So I fell in love with that space. Um, my first job, I mean, I, I kind of feel like job means there had to be a transference of money for skills or something. So um, Clint Dyer, who we, I think we now all know and love, uh, mm -hmm. associate, uh, associate artist at the National Theatre, mm -hmm. um, Death of England, about to do the Bob Marley musical. Mm -hmm. He had also gone through the Stratford East Youth Theatre about... Oh. 10 years before me maybe um and he said that there were there was this film being made and there were a bunch of auditions happening would i go along to them so i went along to two different auditions uh one was uh, in my naive ignorance at the time as i said to my mum with this man i can't remember his name it was like a woman's name but i can't remember what it was uh, <laughs> <and> she said <laughs> she said do you was it jude matthew i went yeah that was it jude so i didn't realize but i had an audition for jude law yeah um i didn't get that job but i mean this is how ignorant i was about this whole world of industry and you know i was just this this kid from east, east end who wanted to play on stage yeah but that's um, the beauty of like getting into this industry via you know stumbling into it falling into it tripping into it because you don't have any of that you know quote unquote knowledge of how things work or what you're supposed to do so you just sort of come in and you go I don't really know what the rules are I just know that I'm supposed to be a good person and try to do good things and that's all that I can bring so I'm just going to come in and try and do those two things and then bring all of my other parts that I think should be here and the stuff that I think we should be doing and the way I should be working and all of those things like you build that up right yeah and the barriers remain invisible at first don't they because mm -hmm. you're in like you walked in and you're in and you're doing the thing you wanted to do great yeah uh, yeah and it's only you, it's only four years after that you go what's that up on my head what is this transparent yeah, surface? Yeah. why can I not go up any further yeah um 
so yeah, so uh, I didn't get that one. Uh, and then he sent me for another audition with uh, another person I knew nothing about. <laughs> My ignorance <laughs> is like knows no bounds. Um, he was this Scottish Italian director called Armando Iannucci. Uh -huh. uh, so uh, <laughs> I, got, I got that job and I, I didn't know at the time this was his directorial debut. He'd been writing loads. Um, it was his film debut. He'd been doing lots of TV bits. Um, and I played the part of a boy on a train uh, and it was a short and Daniela Nardini got on a train and then music played and it became a bit of a weird musical film. Uh, and she threw up everywhere over everybody. Uh, and then she got off and uh -huh. said sorry and left us all kind of covered in sick. And these were all meant to be real stories that had been adapted. And it was called Tube Tales and they were funny experiences on the tube. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah, pop onto YouTube. Uh, I'll try and stop saying the word tube. Pop onto YouTube <laughs> uh, and type in mouth Armando Iannucci and you can see a 15-year-old me with dreadfully curly curtains and far too much hair gel. Uh, having a go at acting. I cannot wait to do that. If we could just pause right now so I could go ahead. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Um, that's amazing. What a beautiful set of jobs. Um, okay, so thinking a little bit more forward in your career, um, are there any sort of experiences or specific projects that have led you, I guess, a bit more directly to what you do now um, or have brought you here? Yeah, I think there's really early foundational offers in a way. Um, so mm. like I say, I was, as far as I was concerned, a 17 year old who wanted to be an actor, but was mainly DJing and had got onto pirate radio. And then at the age of 18, got this call from the BBC saying, we've heard your radio show on pirate. We'd like you to come and do a uh, pilot for us mm -hmm. uh, for this new station we're creating, which ended up being one extra. So I thought that was what I was gonna be doing. Whilst doing that, John Z D uh, rocks up and asks if I will do the music for a young company show we're doing at Stratford East. So that just involves me standing on stage DJing. At the same time, whilst doing that, this guy called Alts walks in. Um, and like, to me, he looks like a monk. He's like completely bald headed, all dressed in black, much older than me, like in his sixties or something, mm -hmm. uh, white guy speaks very quietly um it's funny that i kind of see him as a monk because he is quite buddhist actually in his in his philosophy mm. uh and he says i'm looking for a collaborator and i've been told that it might you might be up for it jay-z has just sampled it's a hard knock life from annie i had this idea that you could sample an entire musical and i found one do you want to do it with me so I go, yeah, of course I do. I'm of like course, why 18. not? Like, sign like, me what? up. Like, what yeah. do you mean? There is yeah. no answer other than like, hell yes. Yeah, on it. And we did it. And we did it with the young company, first of all. Philip Headley loved it so much that he said, let's do this as a professional piece. Some of those young company members were in it. And then we we did went through casting and mm -hmm. got a big budget. And we created a piece of, of true hip-hop theatre 20 years before that big piece of hip-hop theatre arrived on the scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that was because Philip Headley had been saying things like, I just feel like theatre is 25 years, musical theatre is 25 years behind popular music. Um, and he was saying that in 1997. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Agree, agree, agree. I just agree. And if you, if you want to be honest, I would say that Hamilton, the music in that is 25 years behind popular music. It's like hip hop from 25 years ago. <laughs> agree, 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 agree. Yes, absolutely. 
so it remains where it was really ultimately um but so I did that and then the next thing I did that same man that same man who features in my life and if we keep talking he'll feature more and more and more in my life uh his name is Ultz U-L-T-Z uh and people will know him because he designed Jerusalem uh and is a, a big boy opera designer and director mm-hmm. um he said have you ever heard of Jean Genet Matthew and I said no did I not tell you Ultz my ignorance knows no bounds um, <laughs> and he says Jean Genet is uh kind of French, Arabic playwright. Uh, Sartre wrote a book about him called Saint Genet. Mm-hmm. Um, David Bowie's Jean Genie is about Jean Genet. Oh, wow. He's an incredible man. So I go, no, I know nothing about this man. Tell me. And he tells me about him. And he tells me about a play that he wrote called The Blacks. Um, and The Blacks is like, oh, it's dangerous. It's, it's, it's called a clown show originally. And it's mm. the Queen the head of the church, the head of the army, uh, the queen's a fate butler, someone else and someone else, a uh, head of the law, the high court judge, have been invited to see a performance by the blacks. So the blacks turn up on stage and the blacks do a kind of variety show. Um, but ultimately what it's about is like 50 years, I'm sorry, 400 years of, of white in Africa and mm-hmm. white oppression in Africa. And we did it on the... 200th abolition of the slave trade and the 50th uh, year of the first African nation to gain independence, which was Nigeria. I really hope I'm right with that. If it wasn't, it was Ghana, and that would be incredibly offensive to both groups. Um, but um, you know what I mean? Anyone who's listening who does know, feel free to at me and yeah. I will learn. And at me, I definitely knew at the time because it was 2007. So it was whoever had been, whoever got independence in 57, mm-hmm. I think was, no, I'm not going to say it again. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it had resonance and it had reason to be done. But what again, yeah. what he did was he said, look, Matthew, within this body of work are these huge, angry rages and I think they have this shared energy with hip hop from the, the late 80s, your public enemies, and a bit of the kind of the anger and the machismo of gangster rap of the early 90s. Do you think we could do something with this? I said, yes, we can. So you've got Tamika Empson fully whited up, playing the Queen of England uh, and getting shot in the head every night by Kaiser, the hip hop rapper, um, <laughs> and then standing up as she's cleaning off the makeup of her face. But the whole thing's a farce. It's so clever. It was too, I didn't even get it at the time. I think I, it took me a couple of years to get it. Everyone is actually black uh, and the white performers reveal that they're black and they all take off their makeup halfway through and they go, we've just needed to trap the white audience here. Mm-hmm. And really they're like some modern form of Black Panther Party. And upstairs, literally upstairs in the theatre, they are executing their leader and getting a new leader for this radical political party whilst the whites are held being entertained by the blacks. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's got so much edge, it's so dangerous. Um, and so I think what I can see in the work that has come, um, that completely shaped me. Stratford shaped me and, and making those pieces of work shaped me in that they are pieces of activism and they know who their audience is. Um, so the Blacks, was, sorry, the, the Boys, the musical, mm-hmm. you know, we took out all the seats in the auditorium. We put fake security on the door. We left the doors <laughs> open so you could go to the bar. We put crash barriers up in front of the stage. Yes, yes. It's a club. We were putting the theatre in the club for the people who were going to the club 
as opposed to expecting people to come and feel stifled, we, for the first time ever, did a text marketing campaign. This is 2002, right? Text messaging is brand new. Yes. Sticker campaign, because that's how you that's how you sold mixtapes with sticker yeah, campaigns. Yeah, 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 all over the... The lamppost anywhere where you could put a anywhere. sticker pretty much yeah, yeah yeah um so it was that and it was wonderful um but it was like genuinely non-patronizing theater for a young audience on their terms yeah. and i knew it was on their terms because i was 18 i was them you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. fubu for us by us for us by thing. us um and so and then stratford east thing is like for the community uh and that the community informs the theatre about what it should be creating and making. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like all of that's in my DNA. I don't know yeah. any other way to think or feel about art or theatre. And listen, all of that from the work of yours that I've seen and experienced just runs through so clearly, but in a way that doesn't push it, push the art aside or push the community aside. It's like, no, no, no. Both of these things exist in the same universe like in this universe we're in um yeah I really saw that with what did I see in the basketball court very recently 846 live yeah um yeah so that yeah the, a response to George Floyd but but I guess a British response to it so it was about UK deaths in police custody um and I and I saw that that sense of yeah, blending these two things and, and 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 smushing them together in like this beautiful way. Yeah, and it just runs through all your work. Um, thinking about what you do right now, um, is there anything that you sort of had wished that you had known before you'd gotten to where you are? That very classic question of, you know, yeah. Every, everything, uh, everything. I wish everything. I knew everything I know now, then. then. But then I wouldn't have been me and I wouldn't have gone on the journey, would I? So yeah. I don't know. Like, there are things I wish I hadn't let get in the way. Um, mm. I I don't know. Like, I erect defences based on the bits of my identity that have historically been oppressed. So I go, it's because I'm young that I'm not getting access to this space. Because I'm brown that I'm not getting access to this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because I didn't go to university that I'm not getting access to this space. Whereas I sit and watch brilliance that hasn't been to university in brown skin, uh, that has come from a low-income background, and I watch it exceed. And I don't put any of those projections onto that human. So why put them onto self, I guess? Um, so I think what that comes down to is permission. I feel like Mm. I'm always waiting for permission. I'm always waiting for the establishment to give me permission, some other figure to give me permission to do a thing, to be the artist that I want to be. And I think it's that. No one can give you the permission to be the artist you want to be other than yourself, and you already have it. So go, 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 go. But had I known that at the time, you know, maybe I wouldn't have made the choices I made. I'm glad that you didn't know that at the time is that that's that seems like such a backhanded underhanded compliment like (laughs) you know but I'm yeah I'm really glad that that we have the version of you that we have right now um like I say ignorance abounds it's like you have to discover the things at the point you meet them in the world Uh, yeah and then you and you know we do so much reflection don't we where we look back it's like always that thing of being like um even the fridge have got a word for it of course they have, what is it? I uh, can't say it in French, but in English, it's the spirit of the staircase. 
which is, oh, I wish I'd, as you're leaving on the way out, I wish I'd said that thing. I wish I'd done that thing. Oh, I'm thinking of all the witty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spirit of the staircase. Yeah, the retorts you could have had. (laughs) So I've been thinking a lot about myself as a leader and leadership and what all that sort of stuff means. Um, And I don't really have an answer, which is why I'm chatting with you and all the other people who have uh, agreed to come and chat with me. Um, But I was wondering if there's if there was a time or has been a time where you have felt like a leader, like in a really clear way, whatever leader means to you. um, Like I said, I have no idea what I mean by that. I'm sort of discovering it as we go. Um, But whatever like quote unquote leader means to you, is there a time where you have just felt like, yeah, I am one right now, or I've opened the door and here I am. Yeah, there there are two, I've got two answers for me. Mm-hmm. One is the, and they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is that I never feel like a leader, mm-hmm. uh, ever. Yeah. And the other one is that I've, whenever running a drama game, I feel like a leader, you know? Yes. It's that simple. Yeah. What is a leader? A leader is the person that everyone else trusts because they've got a bit of a sense of where they're going. <laughs> right? That's that is it. it. They've got a bit of a sense of where they're going. Just a bit of a sense, not a, yeah. not a great one. They don't. They haven't got the map. They just know where north is. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Finger in the air while the wind mm-hmm. blows. You know, yep. that kind of thing. Because um, I, I was thinking when thinking about my leadership style, why do I trust other people to lead? If I come out of a club and I've had a couple of drinks, and you say, "Oh, we're all going back to my house," uh, and I go. You know what I mean? What is it that makes me trust that you're going to lead us successfully to your house? Yeah. That you know where we're going. When I get in a cab with an Uber driver and I stop paying attention to where they're driving, it's because I trust that he knows where we're going. He, mm. or she, very rarely. Uh, but I trust that they know where <laughs> we're going. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I think that's all leadership can be. What I try and do now is own leadership and know when I'm in those spaces of of other people looking to me yeah. with a degree of responsibility. So now I have to think about, COVID's a great example, like leading a company through COVID. What does kindness mm-hmm. look like while my staff are all at home in variant situations, uh, her at home with her young child, but her partner's hundreds of miles away, her at home with her young child on the boat with the failed generator this weekend him in Bradford, you know what I mean? It's like, and just having to look after people uh, and knowing that that's really what leadership is, isn't it? It's, the, it's trust. There's yeah. a group of people who trust you to not yeah. get it wrong. <laughs> and do you find that, that because you're in these leadership, quote unquote, positions, that you trust yourself anymore because you are you know somebody has has put you in that position or you know or somebody has said that they trust you even to to lead this this ship no uh (laughs) uh, no because i'm because i'm human and i'm riddled with self-doubt uh yep speak on it shout out (laughs) self-doubt that's it so maybe it's useful because what self-doubt means is it forces you to keep checking in with self Mm-hmm. Am I doing the good thing? Am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I thinking about everybody? Who have I forgotten? Who have I left behind? Has everybody spoken? Why are the people who aren't speaking not speaking? All of those things that you're constantly assessing. Um, 
but all, and some of it is is because I'm a damaged human being with trauma coming from a particular background, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which means that when stood outside a room for a meeting that I've called as a senior artistic leader in a multi-million pound uh, organization, the Royal Exchange, when I was associate artistic director there. I would still have to sometimes, before I walk into a meeting, just go, it's okay, you're meant to be in that room, and then walk in. Still have to tell myself that that I have the position that I have and other people are looking to me for leadership. Yeah. And that all leadership needs to be is that I've got a bit of a sense of where we're going. And that might mean that for this meeting, I've got a bit of a sense of what the agenda might be. But really, good leadership draws upon the team. And... And in short, and that's why it's about who's in the room as well for me. Yeah, yeah. So much. It's like, so with 846, a piece that was about trauma, racialized trauma, black trauma, black deaths in police custody, the whole creative team is going to be black. It's really simple, you know, like. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be that, you know, that it wasn't essential that the stage manager in that room was black. Um it would have added, but it wasn't essential, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but movement, yes, please. Voice, yes, please. If there was an illusionist in the room, I'll be phoning up Bones and saying, it can only be you, you know? Like, yeah. there are some times when it's so necessary. Um, a quick riff on that, sorry, mm-hmm. is, is making Amsterdam, which mm-hmm. was from, it was 100% about what it is to be a Jewish woman Israeli Jewish woman living in Europe in amongst the the ghosts of the Holocaust that was its specificity but its broader context was about what is it to be foreign what is it to be other Mm -hmm. what is it to be othered by others Um, and so again a silly listing qualities but within the room there was plenty of Jewish experience there was uh, Irish traveller heritage experience. There was people who who are disabled who were in the room. It was all sorts of different people who felt like they would care about the story because they felt a connection to the story. So it, again, silly metaphor, but like we're going to make this piece of pottery and we're all going to leave our fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. So let's all handle it with sensitivity and we'll only handle it with sensitivity if we all care. Why do we care? If it's just a job you know it's only the financial impetus to care yeah but if this is if you must care because it's your own experience you're putting out there in some way and I think that really really resonates actually like I'm I'm like discovering it as I'm listening to you is that yeah when I'm building teams for the small projects that I'm doing actually I am looking for the people who are going to care about that project that play that story not necessarily more than they care about the money or anything like that but just that they care about that like that's what it is you know Um, otherwise I think it stops being art I'm I'm worried it might not be art if it's just about a financial transaction it becomes a bit of a product like why not just sell it on Amazon or any other online shopping website (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know yeah that's sort of like that because because so my thing is when I make work or or do any sort of project you know the people who I 
work with, I choose to work with them because I, so I just want to play. That's my thing. So I just want to play with you. And you just so happen to be a sick lighting designer. So come, let's just play. I'll stand in the light. You can throw some lights on me, like try out whatever you want to try. Let's just play. Um, and yeah, and like doing this tiny little brain discovery that I'm having right now is that that sits in with, you know, do you care? You know, and it's not that it has to be your whole life, yeah. but, but do you care about the story that we want to tell um, or the people that we might want to um, reach or the people that we might want to try and speak on behalf of, you know, do you care? And I think that's what we're trying to get the audience to do, isn't it? Ultimately, get them to care about what we're offering them. So there must be care at every level of the creation, I feel. Um, mm. And there is another side to it, you know, I don't know, like, but even the thing about the pantomime, you know, uh, we were talking about a friend of ours earlier. Um, I know how fun that person is, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, what this is about is about caring for families. That's what making a pantomime is about yeah he's really funny she's really fun and sensitive and you know so let's get that energy in the rehearsal room knowing that the product that we end up having to sell at the end because that is a bit more transactional mm -hmm. still have care at its heart as opposed to consumerism or, or something more corporate yeah that's actually that little sort of again like that brain discovery that i just had um yeah, has really just nicely sort of surprised me in automatically starting to evaluate the work that I've done already and sort of the work that I have sitting on the back burner that I plan that I would like to do sometime in the future. You know, and looking at it from that point of view. Who's in the room? It's one of my favourite questions. Uh, mm -hmm. And the answer is no one dominant group. Uh, unless there is a really good <laughs> cause for there to be one dominant group, like in 846 Live yeah um and just quickly to riff on this um like falsettos was happening at the same time as i was making amsterdam uh -huh. a single cell of jewish dna in the space yeah uh, um and and their their comeback was what has everybody got to be jewish to make this story no of <laughs> course not no 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 that's not what we're asking for but again who is in the room who cares about jewish identity yeah yeah <laughs> no one no um, one so what are you going to make and I'm, I'm very worried about the output um and the questions that are being asked in that space and the answers that are coming back you know because there's no one in there who cares yeah and so I that's think leadership isn't it um that yeah that is exactly it the, um the tricky bit sorry I was gonna say also the tricky bit is that you have occasionally got to make I don't know if you have you've got to have difficult conversations as a leader but I think you've got to have difficult conversations as a human so when you say difficult conversations as a leader what do they look like to you like what what do you mean by those difficult conversations like specifically as a leader you yeah. know other other than you know hey maybe you're not right for this job sort of conversations yeah. or as well as those conversations well there is that and often with you're not right for this job um, so if that's me attempting to employ you, Coco, as an artist, and I say you're not quite right for this job, that cuts deep to your soul because you Absolutely. are an artist. And what I'm saying is you are not right for this job. It's not yes. like your CV doesn't present well. It's like your core essence being doesn't fit what we're trying to do at the moment. 
call us in six months you know like that's yeah, a yeah, hard yeah. blow to take but that's yeah, yeah. the world we work in especially because so 99 of artists are emotional sponges and also <laughs> soft babies and just need to and be cuddled and, and yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent so yeah um needy infantilized human beings is what we are uh <laughs> but i think there's a harder thing which is like and i haven't had to do it luckily um but you know many of, of our, our friends and peers and colleagues have just have had to make, in some cases, up to 100 people redundant. That's a real, that's a hard series of conversations to go through. Mm-hmm. How do you apply kindness and empathy and softness and gentility and all of those things to that? You try, but ultimately you're saying, no, I'm, you're not getting paid this week or ever again by us. And when we fire up on all cylinders again, you won't be coming back because you can't. That's really hard. Um, Negotiating with the board, I find incredibly difficult. You Mm -hmm. can't manage a board. So there's this theory that you you manage down and you Mm -hmm. negotiate up, which is mind blowing to me because it's like, you know what that is? That's, that's, it's asking power. Yep please sir can I have some more or I would really like it if we could do this you're wrong you're wrong when you say uh the board is now as diverse as it needs to be I tell you you're wrong um it's those conversations yeah I think um about people's livelihoods and about principles and values I think that's where it can get really really crunchy and difficult and I think with theatre or, or sort of any art form, you know, 99% of people are making it because they love the art, because they have something to say, because they want to share what they can do with the world. You know, that is why people are doing it it's so rarely for the money um, or, you know, financial gain or or popularity even. Um, but when you start to have to have those conversations about money and financial stuff that can get a bit sticky so yeah that that's hard and we forget that that actually is like I say we I forget that that you know is part of that job and is part of also understanding that the artist or the art that they make the money that they get paid to do that not only do they not sit separately but they also are not independent from a billion other things like home life, um, like personal health and well-being, you know, and all other things that that can come and go at any of those times. Like having as a as a quote unquote leader, having to have that. What's the word that I'm looking for? You know that that wide view of a person's life you know, or, or their whole world and the whole world of artist number two and artist number three and artist number four, five, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, that's a, that's a really big part of the job actually is having that that yeah. that sight, that vision outside of we are doing a project, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I find um, the art and the projects is the easy bit. Uh, but even <laughs> then, even then, you know, like not so much with ATC because it's a smaller outfit, but at the Royal Exchange, for example, mm-hmm you can really come to kind of, I want to say come to blows, but I mean like verbally, of course. Um, Of course. But with like 
with a writer and a director who are trying to find their way to this thing that we have to sell to 700 people every night for the next five weeks. Mm-hmm. Person A is saying it's this and person B is saying, no, that's not going to work. And then you get into questions of intellectual property and then egos, you know, and trying to mediate that can be difficult. So it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all basic management of humans, essentially, which is what directing is. <laughs> so essentially what I feel like is the day I could run a rehearsal room, you can kind of run a, a building if you can do it sensitively and well. And if you're thinking about people, conscientious, if you're being conscientious at all points. Mm. And is that something that when you first started out, you sort of had knowledge of, you know, of those? I think I've had, I think I've always been principled, wildly, <laughs> a sense of fairness that, that it's too, it's too intense sometimes. I'm like, come on, I know that's unfair, but but it's the thing that riles me up the most. And I think it's the thing that gets me angry and makes me radical. And there's probably the reason I'm an artist is because I look at things and I say, that's unfair. Mm. I don't want it to be. Uh, my therapist would say, I've never really let go of the four-year-old <laughs> who stood screaming at the world, but that's unfair. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't. Um, and I think that is what has made me conscientious to think does this people in, does this person in this room right now feel like I am treating them fairly? That the mm-hmm. system but that they're going through, this process of being commissioned as a writer, is it fair? This recruitment process, is it fair? The working week, is it fair? Working from home, is that fair? Like, and yeah. so as I keep asking this, then and I think I think ultimately every one of us will bring our own, we'll all lead in our own way, you know, like. I remember asking David Land what kind of, how I said, how do you lead David? And he went, oh, I don't know. I just kind of lead by wandering. But what he means by that is he just kind of, he wanders around the Young Vic and it's an open plan office. And he had it designed as an open plan office. Yep, so yep. that everyone, and suddenly you see, oh, of course, this whole thing is your way of working. It all mm-hmm. functions in a way that you would like to lead, which means you can just lean over someone's shoulder and go, have we heard from so-and-so? Oh yeah, how's that coming along? Great, lovely. And then you wander off again. And you trust people and you give them autonomy and you let them get on with their work and then you check in with people. But again, everyone will have their own way of working towards that. Yeah. Like, very side note about offices is I completely believe that, you know, an office space, whether that is in a building or currently, you know, at home or in your own house or in a coffee shop or whatever, um, offices are the brain of your organization your venue they are that thing that like that kind of ticks along and and sends all those like electro transmitters that's literally just saying words that sends all that stuff around i'm with the metaphor thank you i appreciate it so much um you know so when you have office spaces that allow the brain to work as just naturally and um fluidly Mm as possible like the body's going to work you know and the hands get to reach out to participants the hands get to reach out to artists the feet get to move you to different cities and to different communities like is that not what you want you know um yeah that was no but as you're saying that i'm then going so yeah so all those offices all those old school offices and those old school ways of thinking where every department is in its own little box yeah you're stopping any 
whatever you called it, uh, electrical the, the electro, jumps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're stopping all the synapses, aren't you? You're saying no synapse, stay in your room. <laughs> you know, and like, and I think there's always, you know, like old buildings are going to be old buildings and they're going to be built how they're built. Like if we all had the money to just build our own buildings, we would. Um, but sometimes we've got to work in these like, you know, this is that department's room and that's that department's office and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I really, I really have been sort of thinking of ways of, of finding that brain, you know, finding how that brain can work, even if there are those sort of physical barriers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that trickles down to, to me thinking about how I want to work and, and all of these other things. Yeah, and you know it can work, because uh, look at BAC, that's a creaky old building, <laughs> literally made of a thousand tiny different shaped rooms, and yeah. Like the same size, none that yeah, sort of no. really makes sense in their <laughs> no. own way, but but BAC make it work, shout out BAC. They make it work fully, fluid, 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 yeah. Um. So, do you feel, I'm smiling because I know that this question is, uh, um it gets reactions so do you feel like you have quote unquote made it in theater no uh Um, yeah i had a therapy session yesterday morning at nine o'clock as i do every week and then i had a coaching session immediately afterwards never do beautiful that That sounds amazing i'm sure that you were emotionally together and you weren't you had all the energy like i'm sure that that's exactly the thing you needed right after a therapy session yeah i don't know where my boundaries are anymore i've got no more boundaries (laughs) (laughs) just telling anyone anything what what do you want to know about my mom oh we're not about my mom okay um absolutely so hi my name is coco and here's my childhood trauma Um, yeah yeah how's your day been (laughs) um but the conversation with my therapist and then the conversation with my coach were the same. They were full of frustrations about my career. Um, because I think there's a big game going on and it's a game of gaslighting where people feel, pretend like they're making space. Um, but right here on this table, and you may have seen me tweet about this, I found the Eclipse Report from 2001. Wow. Uh, developing strategies to combat racism in theatre. 2001 and everyone's now just <laughs> pretending like they just woke up to something this summer uh-huh dawn wharton who of course helped found um eclipse then reminded me that in 1979 uh nasim khan had published the white paper called the arts britain ignores mm-hmm. which was all about the same thing um i could talk at length about my concerns i could talk at length about the fact that and again, this is gonna sound like petty whinging, but I look at patterns and I go, every white man who made a show on the main stage of the Young Vic under David Land's reign, then immediately went on to the other big core cool, sexy theaters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know the ones, the ones that have got a bit of edge to the work they put on, right? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I haven't had a single invitation from any of those people, not once have any of them entertained the idea of a conversation with me. I think it's racism. So I think the reason I haven't made it in this industry is that, and exceptionalism as well. Mm-hmm. So this idea, of course, that, you know, like the, DV, the BBC's diversity drive at the moment, which is they are currently accepting <laughs> applications from all Oscar-winning, Turner Prize-winning Black British directors. Yeah. 
So he Great, goes yeah. for the job and he gets so, the job. So, you know, because, <laughs> because it's all good and well, you opening up to all of us now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I'm, no, I'm really I, glad that that one person gets to apply yeah. and you get to tick yeah. your diversity box, babe. Like, Yeah, but Britain has this concern with exceptionalism uh, and excellence. Mm-hmm. That, that means we're not allowed to just make shit. We're not allowed yeah. to just make trash. No, you have to be black excellence. Yeah. I... I, you know, encourage black mediocrity and black failure and and also like black shit. Like just make some shit art. Like it's totally fine. Like I one day will produce something where I can just give lots of black people the opportunity to make some shit art and get paid for it. And then if they decide to, you know, continue making that art, great. And if they decide to drop it there and then fine, because we are allowed to be mediocre as well as we are allowed to be excellent. We deserve the opportunity for everything from one end to the other. Yeah, yeah. And actually, as I think about that, I remember someone saying to me, uh, it doesn't, as I, when I got that job at the Young Vic, someone said, and I was really worried, I said, what if I get it wrong, what if I get it wrong? Um, my friend who was white said, doesn't matter, you'll fail up. This is the sort of space where you can only fail up. And I'd never heard that concept before. Mm. And now I see it all the time uh, in areas of whiteness. I see people do horrendously bad jobs, fail on every single bit of their job description, and then get a better job and a promotion in their next job. And you go, Mm -hmm. how? Uh, And I look at Blue Orange and I go, it got long listed for the Evening Standard Award. It got five star across the board. It was with incredible actors. No one had anything bad to say about it. Mm -hmm. And, And yet. So I, I, I succeeded down, down. <laughs> which I think is something only someone with, with the skin color I have is, can do. It's kind of crazy. And then I also wonder, you know, are um, the way that we view succeeding and, and all of those things, like that is also colonized and peppered with structural racism. So it's like, actually, did you succeed? down you know I posed that question and not I don't have an answer for it it's like did you succeed down because we actually you know when we hold our work up against the structures that have alienated us all these years um it can always look like that you know like like we can make a show not say that's what Blue Orange was but we can make Mm. a show that you know is a great piece of art but doesn't get the recognition it deserves and it feels like you know, it's failure as opposed to it was good and it did what it needed to do, um, which For is just sort of needed to have it exactly. Which is also just you know, yeah, yeah, something that I no. think we we all get to discover together. Yeah, but capitalism and success are are also part of the same system. You know, like mm-hmm. how we view our relationship with capit- with success is a capitalistic kind of approach quite often, isn't it? So I think what I just said is, I just want to be in bigger theatres. I think that's what I said, which means I'll get paid more. And that's dead, that's dry, you know? It's like... It's like, yes, it's a bit dry, but it's only dry if that's the only aim, Yeah. you know? And that's yeah, like... Yeah not our your only aim it's not my only aim like yeah I want to be in some big theaters and hell yeah I want to be paid a ton of money like I want to be paid a shit ton of cash yeah. but my you know 
my my asking who's in the room doesn't stop just because I'm being paid a shit ton of cash. Yeah, the activism um, doesn't stop. <laughs> absolutely. Look, uh, this has been great. This has been great, Matthew. Yeah. I've just appreciated your time and talking to you. Um, I just want to ask you one last question. Um, so let's say money, no option. You know, you had access to anything in any way you wanted to, to have access to stuff. Um, if you could invent something, anything that can make your current job easier, what would it be? Oh, man. I, I want... I want to crack this thing that makes our buildings impervious to people like me. Mm. I want to crack this idea that there is high art and low art so that so that kids that were the kids that I were don't feel ashamed for liking a particular thing that may be liberating for them in some way. Um, I don't know what that thing is. I can't name it. Um, whatever happened to me when I walked through the doors to the porter cabin at Theatre World Stratford East for the next five years where I was given enfranchisement and empowerment to know my, my ignorant little brown self, poor brown self had <laughs> value. You know, like, uh, yeah. I want that. I want to be able to bottle it and sell it. Because then I know that my audiences would be full of people that I really, really, really was hoping the work was getting to. Mm. <laughs> that, that thing. My heart is, oh, Matthew, I could sit here and just listen <laughs> to you talk for 5,000 hours. Um, but I think that's impossible. So maybe um, I'll just right say thank you. Right this very second it is, at least, because I've yes. got to collect a child. So, um, but we should arrange another chat, certainly. And, and, well, maybe we don't broadcast that one. <laughs> I love that chat. Um, thank you so much for chatting to me. Remember, you can always join in the conversation by using the Black in Power hashtag, which is hashtag Black in Power. I've been Coco Brown, and you can see more about what I do at heycoco.com and at the Coco Brown on socials. This podcast has been produced by the Lost Kids Collective with support from Arts Council England. Sound production by Forward Motion with music from Late Kid and Weird Today. The cover art was designed by House of JBK. I hope you managed to have some water by now. If not, go and get some. Okay, stay safe. Bye.